0: Lauren Lee Chen, and the Twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Aaron Fishman here. Thanks for finding us and tuning in. The Pistons are on the doorstep of halting their two-season playoff drought, which would give them a chance to go for their first postseason win in 11 years. But before that can happen, Detroit must close strong in the final week and a half, beating out at least two of the other Eastern Conference playoff aspirants. James Edwards III, Pistons beat reporter for The Athletic, was gracious enough to join me to discuss a slew of fascinating and timely Pistons topics, including the emerging playoff picture, Dwayne Casey's first season at the helm, Detroit's shot at a first-round upset, and the franchise's ongoing efforts to build around Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. Before we delve in, James shared a personal fun fact with us. When Nuggets guard Gary Harris was a freshman at Michigan State, he received an alley-oop pass from James himself. The then-junior got a kick out of delivering the pass, which Harris flushed for the jam. This took place in a basketball coaching elective class that consisted of some classroom learning paired with a heavy dose of 5-on-5 scrimmaging. An accomplished player in his own right, James won MVP honors at the Eastern Michigan basketball camp at 14 years old. We know he can write and report too, but good thing for us, he's also quite adept at speaking about the game. Let's get into it. I'm always really excited to bring on a new guest to the show and... James, you've been doing a terrific job all season covering the Pistons who don't really get a lot of national attention, but I think it's a particularly interesting time to focus on them. So first of all, welcome in. We're going to begin with talking about their current standing right now as a recording time before Friday's games. They're in the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference. They're 38 and 37 but there's four teams within two and a half games of them. And those five teams are battling for the final three spots. So um, I'd like to get your thoughts on what the Pistons chances are of getting into the playoffs. And then more broadly from your reporting, what's your sense of how the Pistons organization is balancing the benefit of finishing in the lottery versus finally getting back to the playoffs?
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on first and foremost. And yeah, man, it's a tight race. Uh, as you said, it's basically just a game and some decimals separating 10 and six. Um, I'd say right now I'm at about 65%, 70 that the Pistons make the playoffs. Everybody's talking about how the likes of Brooklyn and Miami have a pretty tough schedule down the stretch. And I, I, I put Detroit right up there and we talked about it a little bit before we started to record. Um, I mean, they play the next four games are Portland, Indy, Indy, OKC, which very well could be four straight losses. So um, I do think they get into the playoffs. Um, my gut tells me the eight seed, but you just never know. This team could beat the best teams, and they can lose to the worst team. So um, if they get a win against Portland on Saturday, I think that'll be huge because they'll probably beat New York and Memphis at the last week of the season, and that'll get them to 41, and that should get you into the playoffs. But yeah, we'll see, but this front office, this ownership group, they they want to make the playoffs. Um you don't make a trade for Blake Griffin unless you you want to do that. Uh they haven't been in the playoffs in 2 years, 3 years. Uh haven't won a playoff game in 11 years, 10 years, something like that. So uh the new arena, they're they're ready to to put some playoff uh some playoff joy in downtown Detroit for sure.
0: As you noted, it's been a while, not a lot of playoff success over the last decade so they're really hoping to get in once they do get in it'll be interesting to see who they match up against pretty much it would be very difficult statistically for them not to face one of these three teams the bucks raptors or 76ers just because it's looking like those will be the top three seeds and Mm -hmm. like detroit if they get in would be six through eight somewhere in there yeah there are a lot of interesting storylines with those potential opponents. I'm going to start with the team that's second right now, the Toronto Raptors. Dwayne Casey coached them for the last seven years, and they swept them this season 3-0. Mm-hmm. I think a big caveat is that all three of those games were either decided by a single basket or went to overtime. They got swept by the Milwaukee Bucks, and then they were 1-3 against the 76ers, but All their games against the 76ers were done by early December. And now the 76ers team looks a lot different. They have Tobias Harris now. Jimmy Butler only played a little more than one of those games. He played 10 minutes in the second game. But this is a long way of me asking for you to just go through one by one those three potential matchups if you can for me and try to assess the realistic chances of a first round upset, if there really is any chance this postseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's to me, there's equal chance that they play all three of those teams. And to go back to what I said earlier, it, it just depends on what Piston team shows up in these last uh, week and a half, two weeks, whatever it is. They could very well uh, outlast Brooklyn in their tough schedule and get to the sixth seed, or they could very well just stay put at seven. They could fall back to eight, or they could fall out of the playoffs. But Um, Milwaukee, I think, is the one team they don't want to see. Obviously, I don't think anybody wants to see Milwaukee in the first round. Uh, Just their length, their ability to penetrate uh, with their guards and Giannis and the way Brooke Lopez plays against Detroit. I I think that's the only team that would sweep them. Uh, Toronto, like you said, uh, every game has been decided by a bucket or less or going into overtime. There is the obvious storyline with Dwayne Casey um, and some of the members of his staff came over from Toronto uh, they are 3-0 and against Toronto. I don't think they would win a series. However, uh, what that does say to me is that there is a team who would go into that series with a uh, at least a psychological advantage, and it's the underdog, and I, I think that helps. I think it helps the fact that you've beaten a team three times in a regular season. You go into a series, you're not afraid. Uh, you know right. that you can beat that team, so I could imagine them getting a game or two in Toronto, uh, well, in that Toronto series. And Philadelphia is just a team over the last few years that Detroit has really struggled with. I know they are a lot different. Um, I mean, on paper, they're a better team, uh, adding Tobias, adding Jimmy Butler. So I, I could see them stealing a game from Philly, which I, I think a game, maybe probably two, would, would be enough for this uh, organization, this fan base, to, to walk away from the season and call it a success. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't see them beating any of those teams. I just think they could put up a, the best fight with Toronto in terms of matchup I, I, I'm sure they probably want to see that one. And Dwayne knows that team inside and out. So
0: mm-hmm. It seems really tough going into the postseason, at least on paper. So much talent at the top. But you get into the playoffs, anything could happen as we've seen in past seasons. I want to go to Blake Griffin. That trade that the Pistons front office made 14 months ago now to acquire him effectively made him the franchise cornerstone. I guess you could say... 1A and then 1B with um, Andre Drummond, but clearly they went all in on building around him. Now, things have changed with the Pistons since then. Stan Van Gundy is no longer around, but I assume just given the nature of Blake Griffin's contract and how good and multifaceted his game is that the Pistons are still all in on building around him, to what extent would you agree with that? And, And do they even really have a choice given that contract?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as of now they're 100% committed to him. I mean, he's everything that they that they expected and more. I mean, he's playing the best basketball his career in Detroit. Um, he's shooting the three ball at a, a at a rate that not many people saw uh, of a young Blake Griffin. Um, he still he hasn't sacrificed bully ball amid his his evolution as a player. Um, they love him. The city loves him. I, I really truly believe that he likes playing in Detroit. He likes this challenge of of building an organization up um, and trying to get it to a height that it wasn't at before his his arrival. Uh, but with that said, I would not be surprised if this team misses the playoffs and they, for the most part, they've been relatively healthy this season with their core guys, with Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, and Blake Griffin. Um, if they miss the playoffs with those three guys being relatively healthy, I think that says a lot. Um, and I would not be surprised if they capitalize on how good Blake has been, and they they finally begin a rebuild, and they and they try to trade him because I, I've talked to people around the league, and I know his contract is is massive, uh, but he is still showing that he can play like this for a couple more years, and I, I think his value is as high now as it's been in, since he was a young whippersnapper, and I don't think it'll happen. I just wouldn't be surprised because there's just not really an avenue for Detroit to get much better. Uh, This summer, they don't have much cap space to sign the 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 kind of free agent they need to change uh, to pair with Blake and uh, and change this franchise's fortunes unless they're going to be willing to trade a first round pick or maybe several. I don't really see an avenue through trades or they're willing to trade Luke Kennard, which he's shown to be that he's he's on the uh, the incline and. He could be a player in this league. I don't think that they do that. They don't have many young guys on this roster, especially young guys that were first-round picks. Luke Kennard's really the only one. Um, Mm -hmm. So they don't have much assets because the the first-round picks during Stan's era flamed out. Uh, That's Stanley Johnson, who's now in New Orleans, and Henry Ellinson, who's now in New York. So it's going to be tough. If they miss the playoffs, they're going to have a a lot of tough decisions to make this offseason.
0: One of the things that... I noticed looking at his statistics, he's shooting. Blake Griffin is shooting the best two point percentage of his career since his fourth season in the league. And it's by a lot. He's something around 54%. And then more traditionally, he's averaging a career high 24.7 points per game. I think just naturally it flies under the radar, just given that he went from LA to Detroit and Detroit is hovering around 500. Even when he scored 50 points in the third game of the season, I thought it's not really getting that much attention. Then he drops 44 in his first revenge game. I guess you could call it against the Clippers at Staples Center. Mm -hmm. He's doing pretty big things. It just doesn't really get that much attention, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Detroit. It's the Pistons. The Pistons have kind of always been that uh, that uh outlaw team, when you think about it. I mean, they're a historically one of the best franchises in NBA history. I mean, not many organizations have three NBA titles. But again, when they won those titles, the bad boys, they upset everybody's favorite Lakers team. And then in 2004, the going to work team with Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace, Tayshaun Prince, Rip Hamilton, Rasheed Wallace, and many more, they, they took down a, the Lakers team, who, as you know, Aaron, that's uh, America's team uh you go into any arena on the road good or bad Lakers fans show up so there's always just kind of been this people just generally don't tend to like the Pistons I mean it doesn't help too that they haven't been relevant in 10 years and and Blake Griffin is one of those superstars that because of his injury history was kind of I don't want to say forgotten at times in his career but maybe passed up by some of the young guys that have come in the league in terms of national talking points and and when you put together lists uh, so it's kind of a, a perfect storm you get a guy that's reinvigorated his career who's stayed healthy who's showing what how good of a player he can be and ha- has been when he's healthy uh, but now he's on a team that not many people care about yeah when you watch Blake play it kind of makes sense that he goes to Detroit because of the way he plays it's very uh, gritty it's very in your face very bruising and it's kind of the epitome of what Detroit basketball fans like to at least say that their organization, that their basketball team should be about.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, just the fit between what people associate with the franchise and and his style of play. So Dwayne Casey signed a five-year deal with the Pistons to take over as head coach. Stan Van Gundy was there for the previous four seasons. I'd love to know what the biggest takeaways are from Dwayne Casey's first season and and what you think the most notable differences are between his style and that of Stan Van Gundy?
1: Yeah, it's tough because I always, I I thought, and I do think Stan is a really good coach. I don't think many people would argue that. I think Stan's issue in Detroit was that he was the team president. Mm -hmm. And I've written a couple times about that dilemma of having a guy who's the the head man on the sideline and the head man up top and just kind of the the balance of power that comes with that whether it be looking down the bench and you want to win as a coach and then you go sign a guy to a a lucrative deal that you think helps you win now but hurts you for the future I mean John Lewis is the third highest paid player on this team he's making 10 million a year um, and he doesn't even crack the rotation Langston Galloway is a pivotal piece of Dwayne Casey's rotation but he's a guy that's making seven million dollars a year Reggie Jackson and To be fair, Reggie Jackson, the year he got his deal, uh, was the best player on this Pistons team that made the playoffs. Injuries really hurt him. He's lost a little bit of his burst. He had knee tendinitis issues, sprained his left ankle, grade three left ankle sprain, which most people say is, is considerably worse than just breaking your ankle. And he just hasn't been the same player, but they're tied up to him for another year after this one. So that's the biggest thing is now there's separation between the front office and the court. um, And you saw that with them trading Reggie Bullock, who was their best shooter because they were worried they weren't going to be able to sign him this summer. But in terms of style, I think Stan his last year in Detroit, he he did try to emphasize the three ball. Obviously people that follow Dwayne Casey closely um, know that that really is part of his offensive philosophy um, getting up a lot of threes getting up efficient threes um, spacing the floor uh, it's it's a new game and I think Dwayne he's told me before it, ta- it took him a few years to kind of to grow with the times and Detroit's three-point shooting percentage di- was was abysmal um, through the first few months of the season one of the worst in the league and then in February they actually started just to make the sh- the shots that they were they were missing in the first couple months I mean you look at the stats; they were leading the league. They were in the top five, top six for most of the year um, on getting open and wide open threes. They just weren't making them, and then in February they all kind of just started to go in, and it changed their fortunes. They won twelve of fourteen. Um, but it, that's the big thing is just the fixation on the three ball um, and, and using Blake Griffin as a as a hub, as an ISO player to create those opportunities for other guys.
0: How has Casey approached staggering the minutes of Drummond and Griffin? How has he been balancing that?
1: Yeah, so what he usually does is he'll usually take Blake out first and let Andre roll with the second unit for a little bit. There was a time for most of the year when, I mean, Dwayne Casey had so much success with this in Toronto, he, and he admittedly l- enjoys rolling out a whole new five in the second unit. Um, but this Detroit team was so up and down with its bench play that he he's kind of started to keep – at least Blake or Andre, I'm on the floor for most times. There's, he still does run all five um, new group for minutes and, and spurts uh, during games. But you, you kind of saw him maybe leave Andre in a little bit longer with that second group because, I mean, there, are to- there were times when that second group was winning them games. The starters wouldn't really come out with hot starts and the second unit would put them back in position to take a lead and then the first unit would carry that. And then the last few weeks last few months, it's been a little bit more hit or miss. And the second unit would lose the lead that the first unit got. Um, and the first unit not necessarily being able to kind of get back into the game or, or overcome the deficit the bench put him in. So the staggering is is something that he's worked on and has come to grips with as the season's progressed. Um, but he's still very much as an advocate of having a uh, fresh five in the second unit. And I think that's going to be something that they try to emphasize this offseason as well. I want to
0: delve more into the three point shooting numbers and you referenced it in uh, your first response about Casey, February 2nd through March 10th, you mentioned that they were just hitting all their open shots finally. So over that 15 game stretch, which they went 12 and three, they were shooting a league best 41.4% from three point range. Mm -hmm. And that must've felt good because up until that point, through their first 50 games, they were dead last in the league at 33.1%. I'm assuming the true indicator of how good they are is probably more like what they've been since March 11th, which is kind of like middle of the pack. Yeah,
1: I agree. Yeah, they're somewhere in between the league worst and the league best. Bold uh, <laughs> statement by us. You're right. No, but they weren't as bad. Well... Yeah, just when I look at the roster, I don't, I truly in my heart don't believe they were as bad as the second to last worst team in the league or the worst team in the league from three. And I definitely don't believe that they're anywhere near the best team in the league at shooting the three. So maybe probably somewhere more towards the second, the back half of the, the halfway point in that group. Um, and yeah. at their best night, they could maybe creep into that 13, 12 spot. Uh, but during that, that killing spree that they went on from deep, Reggie Jackson was like the second best three point shooter in the league. Um, I think uh, behind Clay Thompson, the guys who attempted six or more threes in a game, um, he was shooting like 41, 42 percent, which was second in the league. And I wrote about just kind of his improvements as a shooter. He uses a heavy ball, which is like three pounds, a like three pound basketball. It's really challenging to shoot. I've shot with it a couple of times after shoot around after practice, um, but it helps you really get your technique in. And he was telling me, you can read the story on the Athletic Detroit. He was telling me that when he came into the league, he had a hitch with a shot and then he met a, a gentleman. Um, whose name alludes to me, but he's a shooting coach. He used to play in the NBA. He had a cup of coffee who brought the heavy ball into his life to kind of just help with his mechanics. So when he does get the actual basketball, it's one, it's a lighter. Obviously, like when you lift weights and then lift a heavy weight and then lift light weights, it feels a lot lighter, but it also just helps with your mechanics. Cause if you're going to shoot a ball that is that heavy, um, you have to have your mechanics down. Um, and he's kind of tailed off a little bit over the last few weeks. Uh, but Wayne Ellington has been a massive addition for this team. Luke Kennard's really been stepping up and playing well. Yeah. Blake Griffin has been consistent with his three-point shot. Uh, Thon Maker is an upgrade over Stanley Johnson from three, believe it or not, uh, people that don't follow the Pistons very closely. Uh, so th- they made some additions, and uh, some additions by subtraction, too, have helped uh, the three-point shooting kind of jump up a little bit. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. This is Howard Beck of Bleacher Report, and I am on the NBA beat.
0: Yeah, Bullock, so he's gone, and he was their best three-point shooter. But Wayne Ellington came over as a free agent after Miami traded him to Phoenix, and then they waived him. I was looking at his numbers this season. It's really interesting how 83% of his field goal attempts are from three. So it's a very specialized role for him. And we saw in, in their win Thursday, he just went off you wrote about it. That was a good piece. What happens when you take him off? He certainly was playing with a lot of passion and hitting a a bunch of his threes. And So I mentioned the volume, but he's also been very accurate, over 41% from deep since joining the Pistons. I realize he's going to be a free agent in the summer, but how critical will his outside shooting be if Detroit wants to pull off that first round upset and Do you think there's a reasonable chance that they try to retain him in the offseason?
1: Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, Dwayne Casey talks about all the time of some of those battles between the Raptors and the Heat in the playoffs, and Wayne Ellington would just go off. And I think that's kind of just the hidden gem you have to have as a playoff team is that guy who you don't expect, that guy that you probably expect to only score 10 or 12 points, but he can get you 25 in a game just because he's such a good shooter and he can get hot. Those are the X factors that playoff teams really need when uh, maybe their starters are, are struggling or struggling to get going. A guy that can get your team going, a guy that can keep you in the game, those guys are vital in the postseason. And I think there's a good chance they try to bring him back. He's a guy that's familiar with the organization. Him and Arn Tellum have a great relationship. I think he's a guy, like as I mentioned in the piece, he's played for eight different teams in 10 years. Um, he wants some stability. If he can get a two- or three-year deal, I think he would gladly welcome that. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to scouts or agents or anything yet about what they think he could get in the open market, but I think it could be in Detroit price range because he is 31, and if he enjoys it here and they make the playoffs, I could see him not... I mean, I don't know what a guy that's 31 that's a, kind of a specialist gets, but I think he could fit into what they're doing depending on how else they shape the rest of their finances and, and try to shave off a couple dollars this summer.
0: Moving over to Luke Kennard, another... Reliable three-point shooter. He's only 22. It's not anything too crazy what he contributes when it comes to points, but he's just pretty accurate from three-point range. And a cool statistic on him is each month this season, he's progressively increased his minutes per game and three-point percentage. And so now in March, he's playing over 27 minutes per game, which is a lot for a playoff team in only your second year. How do you think the team is viewing his long-term potential?
1: Oh, I think they are I think they're pretty high on him. The one thing with Luke that really hinders him and kind of covers up, I don't know what the word would be, but just the kind of the, the love around him is that Donovan Mitchell went before him. Oh yeah. And that's really the only beef you hear about Luke Kennard, and I think it's unfair. I mean, Luke Kennard is a guy that Potentially could shoot over 40% from three in his first two years as a pro. Donovan Mitchell is a great player. He's a go-to scorer. Would he have been the same in Detroit with Reggie Jackson here, with Tobias Harris here at the time? And then if they even brought in Blake Griffin and they were able to keep him, is he the same player? It's all about fit. I understand in hindsight what people can say and will say. uh, But Luke Kennard to me is, is proven he can be a really good player in this league for a good amount of time. He's not just a shooter. Everyone wants to compare him to J.J. Reddick and Kyle Korver because it's the easy thing to do. Uh, but I see a little bit more Goran Drogic in his game. He's a guy that can work the pick and roll. He's a guy that can put the ball on the deck and and attack the paint and make a shot, create a shot for himself or create a shot for others. The one thing that Dwayne's really been trying to get out of him is just let the three ball fly, play without a conscience. And uh, I think he's done a much better job of that over the last few weeks, few months. And he just needs to be aggressive. Again, he's 22 years old. When We yeah. live in a world where it's what have you done for me lately? Everybody wanted to write off Jared Goff after his rookie season. Then look what happens the next year. Luke Kennard is a guy that's going to, he missed a lot of this summer with a knee injury. Then because of that, he had to play catch up and, and really try to cement himself with a new coaching staff. So he had a little bit of a struggle at the beginning of the year, but this is a guy that scored 28 points against the Philadelphia 76ers. He's going to be a good player in this league. And I I think they see him right now as kind of the Manu Ginobili, Lou Williams type, the guy who can come off the bench, score, create for others. Dwayne Casey's talked about his ability possibly to play point guard in the future. Um, I think they're very high on him. And he's a Midwest guy. I know me and him have had conversations. And I believe like one of the first jerseys he ever bought was like Tayshaun Prince jersey for the Pistons. So there is a little bit of a love there. I could see him sticking around for quite some time.
0: As far as upcoming team building decisions go, they'll have a big offseason coming up what's your indication of the route that the team is likely to go? And, and what type of player do you think, whether it's free agency or through the draft, that they're most likely to target?
1: A player that I think they'll target? Or type. Yeah, like, um,
0: would would you say they're going to look to strengthen at the point guard? Yeah. Or, and how are they viewing their future with Reggie Jackson? I'm just curious about their direction in the near future.
1: Yeah, I just think they are going to Target point guard and wings uh, at the three-point shooting league. They're they're gonna try to, in my eyes, are gonna try to keep Wayne Ellington. I think they're gonna try to bring back Ish Smith, who's a free agent this summer as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they one of their bullet points this offseason is to see if they can move Reggie Jackson's contract, which will be expiring going into next season. He has one year left after this year. I think they are a wing perimeter point guard piece away from being a little bit better than people think. They need a guy on the perimeter who can consistently go get his own shot, who can make things happen, and kind of be that second fiddle to Blake from the guard spot. It's not Reggie's fault. He hasn't been the same since his injuries. But I do think if they can, they will try to upgrade at that position.
0: Yeah, we talked about BG's contract, but if you include Drummond and Reggie Jackson, their salaries, $79.5 million is owed to those three next year. They're right up against the luxury tax. So there's not a lot of flexibility, but there's still room to do some things. Like you said, if they can entice another team to want to acquire Reggie Jackson, he's still relatively young. And when he's healthy, he is a really solid contributor. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what they do, even though they don't have the most flexibility.
1: Yeah, no, and that's the thing. It's like, are they going to be willing to part with an asset, which they have very few of? To just to move them? Or are they going to swallow their medicine and just write out what the uh, the situation that presented themselves when they all took this job again? This isn't the organization that signed Reggie Jackson. This isn't the organization that signed John Lewis. Or it is the organization. It's not the front office staff. It's going to be interesting. It doesn't seem like a group that will uh, mortgage the future just to try to get off some contracts early. But again, the owner wants to win. So if he makes an executive decision, I'm sure that they uh, all like money and all like keeping their jobs. Yeah.
0: Before we finish up, we have to touch on Ish Smith. He's one of the the good stories around the league. It's just a feel-good story, I think. He was a journeyman by the time I would say he was in his mid 20s, maybe even early 20s, but um, by the time he was 27, he had played for nine different NBA franchises. The Pistons are his 10th team. But he's in his third season with the Pistons. He hadn't even played two full seasons with any other organization. So something is clearly clicking with that fit. He seems to be a fan favorite in Detroit. How did he find a home
1: seemingly in Detroit? The thing with Ish is he's a guy that when he's in the game, you know he's going to play hard just because of his skill set and his physical abilities. I mean, he's as fast a player as you'll find in the NBA He's a change of pace guard. His style is much different than Reggie Jackson. It's I mean, to be corny and cliche, it's almost like thunder and lightning. Reggie Jackson, the knock on him is he dribbles the ball too much. He holds on to the ball too much. He's very nonchalant in his his approach. Not that it's a bad thing, that's just how he goes about. It. He's more of a meticulous player. Ish Smith is go, go, go. And I think it's exciting for the Pistons fans. Um on top of that, he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Always has a smile when or loss. Always a guy you can go to in the locker room after a win, after a loss. I think his personality really comes through on the cameras in his interviews. And I think the fan base really eats that up. But again, he's a guy that just plays with 100% with a motor all the time. As we talked about a little bit earlier with Blake Griffin, when you play hard, the fan base will get behind you. You don't have to be the greatest player in the world. This fan base, as much as they uh might be a little overrated in their, in, in regards to their um their love. People call this a basketball town. To me, it's only been a basketball town when this team is good. And to, in their defense, I wouldn't spend my hard-earned money on a team that hasn't been consistent either. But they do have a knack for seeing through kind of the BS. And they know the guys that play hard and the guys that bring it every day. And Smith is one of them.
0: Has the second right now best on-off net rating of anyone on the team. Drummond is first. Yeah, he's quietly doing a really solid job. He just seems to just know what the team needs and and he's able to provide that it seems like
1: yeah it's again it's a change of pace he's a uh, good backup point guard he's improved his three-point shot if i'm not mistaken i haven't checked in a while but this could be his best year shooting the three ball which is just something that ishmith has never been known for i'm gonna try to confirm that real quick yeah i mean 33.9 percent. he was better last year but he's doubled his attempts this year i mean he's older. I think he's 31, 29, 30, something like that. He hasn't slowed down at all. He's a guy that just loves to play the game and it comes through in his style of play and in just his personality.
0: Yeah, he's 30. He'll be 31 in in the summer. So I wanted to end on an amazing piece you wrote on the athletic about the so called cookie mom. I thought it it was really a pleasure to read. But first, I do, I want to thank you again for coming on. It's been really enjoyable. But um, Diane Simon, am I saying yeah. her name right or is it D? Diane, yep. I'm curious, how would you become aware of the story? And just whatever you feel like telling me about how it, it came about,
1: I'd love to know. I thought it was really well done. Thanks. Well, I appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, so without saying too much, someone that is around the Pistons organization tipped me off about her, told me he or she had a, a good story idea. About this lady who is consistently in arenas around the NBA, specifically the Midwest, uh, Detroit and Cleveland, even more specifically. And she, on her own dime, drives up to Detroit often, bakes cookies, gets boxes for the cookies, and gives them to the players. And in my eyes, I, as soon as I heard about that, I Googled, saw nothing had been written on her. The only thing I had seen that was done was the Cleveland News did something a couple years back just like a a TV hit. And I was like, this is like, I didn't think, I didn't know if people outside of like basketball nerds would love it, but I figured it was a story for like my peers. Like this is a story that hasn't been told in like 40 years. And as long as she's been doing it. So to me, it was like a no brainer. All the players know who she is, but you wouldn't really notice her because she is, she gets to watch these games and then she's back toward the loading docks where the team bus and the cars are. It's not like reporters go back there. So I was lucky to get a connection. I was lucky to get her to agree with it. And yeah, the story was as good as I was hoping it would be.
0: I think so many things seem to line up for that story. From my perspective, it it had all the elements that you want as a basketball reporter. It's not strictly about the basketball. So I think a lot of people could relate on a human level, even if they're not sports or basketball fans, just that connection that she's made with the athletes through her cooking, even if they're only talking briefly, it seems like there's a lot of love in both directions. Just from the quotes that you and and your colleagues gathered for you, the players just kind of light up. It seems like when they're in a visiting city and they don't see anyone they know, and then she's that old familiar face that just shows up every time you go there. And then the other thing I think is really cool that, that you mentioned in your response was that no one had really written about it. That must have felt really good as a reporter, and then, like a great reporter, you won't reveal your source, you wouldn't even say if it was a woman or a man.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, what and the thing is, I'm not necessarily sure, I'm sure the league probably knows about her by now and they wouldn't do anything, but I don't necessarily think she's supposed to be doing what she's doing.
0: <laughs> it seems it seemed like a little bit sketch, but then you addressed that really early on in the piece, saying the average reader is probably wondering how is this safe for the players and how can they even trust that it's not tainted yeah. or whatever?
1: In the well, that's out. the most, that was the yeah, most interesting part room. of the story to me. Like who she is was equally as interesting, but like the fact that how did sh- this regular civilian who works at AT&T get this access? And there was more stuff yeah. that I wasn't able to put in the piece just to like obviously not throw her under the bus and throw certain people under the bus. But I mean, obviously the players know her and love her and have eaten her cookies and everybody's fine. And she's just a joy to be around. So it's not like she would get in trouble, but I had a lot of stuff on background um, to try to piece the story together that I necessarily couldn't add to the story. That would probably make a little bit more sense, but but it was mm-hmm. it, I think it turned out well.
0: And just the last thing I'll say is that I think it would be very difficult for people to replicate what she's doing. It's, it's like she broke in kind of a long time ago. She got her in gradually through these interpersonal connections. It's not like some person reading it in a random city if, the, if they... Decide. Oh, that's how I'm gonna start meeting NBA players. I'm, I'm gonna cook my best dish <laughs> and start getting access to these players. That's not gonna and happen. I think it's it's highly unlikely, yeah, it's- if not impossible, especially in this day and age. But um, yeah. Again, really great job on that, and thanks a lot for coming on. No,
1: man, I really appreciate you having me on, Aaron. It was, uh, it was a good chat.